Hey guys, welcome to the One Life Church podcast. We're so glad you're joining us today and we hope this message encourages you and strengthens your faith. Enjoy the message. I've titled today's message, The Place of Encounter. Um, there's a great amount of uh, stories in the Bible about where God personally encountered people's lives. And uh, does anyone remember a, a movie from quite a few years ago uh, it, was, it was actually released in 1977 and it was called Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Does anyone re- yet remember that movie? And, and there's one scene as a kid that I remember um, because I was, I was extremely young when that movie um, got released. I didn't, I didn't see it until uh, a little bit later in life. Uh, <laughs> and, um, you know, th- there's that scene where the, the mother ship's down on the ground and, and they've got the big board that they're communicating with the ship and you've got... You remember that? And, and uh, I just recall that scene and, and how, you know, engaged I was. Oh, this, this ship is actually engaging with people and, and they're, they're making music together. And uh, it's really, really interesting that we can be so captivated uh, by making some sort of encounter with something that's extraterrestrial, something that's out of our normal sphere of understanding. Uh, you know, there's so many people that invest so much time in looking into space to, seeing, to see if there's, if there's life out there. What's really interesting, actually, when I started to think about that movie was those five tones were chosen by a composer by the name of John Williams after trying about 350 of the approximately 134,000 possible five-note combinations available in the 12-tone chromatic scale. So there you go. Um, it just didn't randomly happen by chance, even when he came up with that song. Actually, John Williams was uh, really well known uh, for another uh, uh, comp- composition of music. And I'm just going to see if I can get this right this morning. Does anyone recall that movie? That was another movie about an encounter that I'm sure terrified most kids every time they went to go to the surf and think about what was going on there. Um, yeah, that was Jaws, released in 1975. Um, Spielberg also went on to have another movie called E.T., Extraterrestrial, um, which, which I think Murray, yeah, Murray's got the finger. If anyone wants to see, I believe Murray modelled the finger for E.T., um, <laughs> So if you want to just get a, a selfie with Murray's finger later, <laughs> feel free to do that. Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, as I said, the Bible contains many examples. We're getting back on track. It contains many examples and accounts of where God had personal encounters with people. Uh, and I want to look at two, two uh, examples, two main examples today. One is going to be from the Old Testament. The other one's going to be from the New Testament. Uh, but God at various times uh, throughout history, has actually revealed himself in a personal way to people. Uh, you know, the, the actual word is called uh, theophany. Uh, and, and for those of you that want to know that, um, it's a visual manifestation of some sort of God revealing himself to man. Uh, to, he revealed himself to specific people uh, at specific times for a specific purpose. And... I want to think about that for our lives this morning because I know for myself, I've had moments in my life where I have personally encountered God's presence. And I pray that 
uh, that can happen on a daily basis for us as believers. Uh, but I believe that there are other moments where we, we just come into another whole realm of God's manifest presence. And uh, I, I just believe it's a place of encounter where God just wants to come and revive us and get us on, on track with a few things. Um, we know in the book of Genesis, chapter 3 and verse 8, uh, that we hear here where God used to meet with Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening. And it says here, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord amongst the trees. Now, this was after they had actually partaken of the uh, tree uh, that they were told not to partake of. And so they had, they had sinned, they'd, they'd missed the mark. And we can assume that if, if God's revealing them himself to these, this couple at this point in time, that he was in the regular practice of revealing himself to these people. And I just think about that just for a moment, what that would have been like. Uh, I, I know that we've got quite a nice garden at home that we spend a little bit of time on. And just to walk out into the garden at night, and I've walked out into our garden at night before, and just to think that God could come and just speak to you amongst the plants and, uh, and everything else that you're looking at. Uh, God is a God that desires to encounter our lives. Um, as this was, um, as I said, after Adam and Eve had actually fallen, it's, it's reasonable to suspect that God had met with them like this in, in like manner prior to that too. And there's a few theophanies in the Old Testament. Um, we had Cain, when Cain killed his brother Abel, uh, God came and, and, he, and he confronted Cain and he said, where's, where's your brother? What's, what's basically what's happened to your brother? And he goes, well, who am I? Am I my brother's keeper? Um, so God actually revealed himself to Cain at this time. We know that God revealed himself to Noah, uh, told him to build an ark. Uh, he revealed himself to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. Uh, and also, uh, surprisingly here too, that God revealed himself to Hagar, which was Abraham's concubine, uh, who had Ishmael. And uh, when she went out into the wilderness, uh, God revealed himself to her as well. We know that Moses, uh, God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush and spoke to Moses in a bur- from, the, from the burning bush. Uh, we know the nation of Israel was guided by a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of cloud by day, which were manifestations of God's presence. It would be kind of cool, wouldn't it, to see something like that? Um, you know, God descending over Mount Sinai as well. Um, God reveals himself to people. And in the New Testament, we, we pick up the story about Saul as he was on the road to Damascus. And uh, if you want to look at that this morning, it will be up on the screen as well. But in Acts chapter 9 and verse 3 to 9, it says, But on his journey, now, now just for a bit of context, for those that don't know, Paul had been going around and um, rounding up Christians rounding up people who were of the way and, uh, and suppressing them, jailing them, killing some. We know that Stephen was stoned at this stage. Uh, Saul was on his way to Damascus to round up some more believers. And it says, But on his journey, as he neared Damascus, a light from heaven suddenly blazed around him, and he fell to the ground. And then he heard a voice speaking to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Just let me tell you, it's not the voice from heaven you want to hear. Um, he says, who are you, Lord? He asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, was the reply. But now stand up and go into the city and there you'll be told what you must do. His companions on the journey stood there speechless, for they heard the voice, but they could see no one. Saul got up from the ground, 
But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they took him by the hand and led him to Damascus. There he remained sightless for three days. And during that time, he had nothing either to eat or to drink. What's really interesting from Saul's encounter uh, with Jesus on, on the road to Damascus is that he became blind. And, uh, you know, Saul was someone who, who later on when he, when he became Paul would go to great lengths to say that, you know, out of all Jews, I'm, I'm as Jewish as you can get. You know, he, he didn't mind actually saying it and, and breaking it down for us in terms of how Jewish he was and how staunch he was in, in the ways that were disciplined and the ways that would follow the Torah and, and would follow all the laws. He, would, he, would, he was so proud of the life that he had lived. And yet here he is struck down with blindness. And I believe that, that he would have known, Saul would have known at that time, what that blindness meant to him. See, when I read that scripture, I just sort of thought, yeah, well, maybe there was a bright light. And, um, and that could have been it. And he could have just been blind from the, the bright light. But I believe there's more to that. Because blindness is actually a covenant curse. And it's mentioned in Deuteronomy chapter 28, 29, um, verses 28 to 29 in chapter 28. And it's for disobedience. And he says, I will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind, and you shall grope at noonday as the blind gropes in the darkness. See, I believe that Saul would have understood that blindness, his blindness was a representation of his disobedience that he had, uh, you know, been partaking of in terms of what Jesus was trying to do on this earth, what God's Spirit was trying to release, and, uh, and he was hindering that. And so what was, what was Saul's reaction at this point in time? We read the text that he goes into Damascus, but he fasts for three days. And see, I, I just believe that there is such a, a transition of, of heart when Saul has this encounter with Jesus that he humbles himself. And, and I think that when we think about you know, encounters with God, they're, they're not just, wow, that were some pretty lights, or wow, I got goosebumps, or, or, or something to that effect, but Holy Spirit... What are you wanting to show me? What are you wanting to bring to my attention? What are you wanting to reveal to me at this time? What, is, what, what sin, what is in my life that you want to deal with? See, I believe there are moments in our life where the Holy Spirit comes, and I know it's been the case for myself, and it's a matter of waiting on Him and allowing the Holy Spirit to reveal things in you and allow the Holy Spirit to purge you and so we know the result was that Saul, he uh, fasted for three days and he uh, eventually got prayed for and, uh, and received his eyes sight back again. Um, the other person I'm going to look at this morning is Elijah. And uh, Elijah was an amazing prophet in the Old Testament. Uh, he did so many uh, amazing things. What's more amazing too is that Elijah says that he wants a double portion who is Elijah's understudy. But we're going to look at Elijah uh, just after he actually killed the 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, you might, some people might recall that story. If others don't, you might want to look it up at a later date. Uh, but just for time this morning, we're going to pick the story up from where, from where Elijah had just finished killing these prophets of Baal. And uh, there was a, an evil king around at the time, a wicked king that around at the time, and his name was Ahab. And he was married to a Sheila called Jezebel. You've been around uh, Pentecostal churches for any length of time. You've heard of Jezebel, and uh, she's not a real popular person. 
Uh, but here in 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 1 to 18, when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. Uh, so Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. She was pretty keen on the prophets of Baal. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you have killed them. And then um, we go on. Elijah was afraid, verse 3, and fled for his life. He went to Bathsheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Uh, it was an amazing turn of events. Anyone that's uh, ever read this story, it still gets me. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, for I'm no better than my ancestors who have already died. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, an angel touched him and told him, get up and eat he looked around and there beside his head was some bread baked on hot stones and a jar of water so he ate and drank and lay down again one thing you got to realize this is not unusual for Elijah just to get these uh, uber eats um, like this previously uh, some ravens came and fed him uh, you can read that in a few chapters before this uh, God arranged some ravens to come and uh, feed him. And, uh, and so this wasn't foreign to him to be fed this way. Then the angel of the Lord came again and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more or the journey ahead will be too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God, where he came to a cave where he spent the night. That certainly was some Uber Eats, isn't it? 40 days and 40 nights. But the Lord said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 10, Elijah replied, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I'm the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And this is what he gets told. It says, Go out and stand before me, on the mountain the Lord told him and as Elijah stood there the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain it was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose but the Lord was not in the wind after the wind there was an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake there was a fire but the Lord was not in the fire and after the fire there was the sound of a gentle whisper when Elijah heard it he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? Verse 14, he goes on again. He replied again, I have zealously served the Lord God Almighty, but the people of Israel have broken their covenant with you, torn down your altars and killed every one of your prophets. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too just note that it's exactly the same as what he said before then the lord told him go back the same way you came and travel to the wilderness of damascus when you arrive there anoint hazael to be king of aram then anoint jehu grandson of nimshi to be king of israel and anoint elisha of shaphath from the town of abel meagol to replace you as my prophet 
Anyone who escapes from Hazel will be killed by Jehu, and those who escape Jehu will be killed by Elisha. Yet I'll preserve 7,000 others in Israel who have never bowed down to Baal or kissed him. Thanks for your patience with that. That was a really big bit of scripture to get through. But just to ground you on this interaction that Elijah had with Jehovah on this mountain. And um, have you ever found yourself running from something? I've, I've found in my life sometimes, you know, when there's been danger around, um, I want to, I want to flee. I want to get away. You know that the, they talk about the fight or flight, fight, flight response. The fight or flight response. Anyone ever experienced that in their life? You found yourself in a very dangerous situation, and you got two options: Am I going to stand here and and uh, and try to defend myself, or am I going to get uh, my legs into action and get going? I know I've been in a in a situation once before where I, I actually feared for my life and I saw rage in someone's eyes like I have never seen before. And uh, I know that I, I got to a certain spot where I felt safe and I was rehearsing in my mind exactly how I actually got there. And I don't know how my legs actually did what they did. Because um, I remember actually walking through our, not walking, running through our workshop at the time many years ago when I was only an apprentice. And... Uh, jumping from a, a car stand to another car stand like parkour and you know we can do some pretty amazing things when uh, physically when we're trying to get away from something but in this case with Elijah you know you couldn't get two greater extremes he's had this experience where he's been able to see all these prophets of Baal you know ridiculed I guess in a way where where he said you know really if Baal is Baal well then you know make him come down and 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 remove this sacrifice you know set fire to this uh, altar and uh, it, it didn't happen and, and they gnashed you know they cut themselves they did all sorts of things they did weird dances they did a lot of things to try to get Baal's attention but we know that there is only one God the living God and Elijah knew that but you couldn't get two greater extremes when we can see that that God is so good in our lives and so faithful and that we can be fearful and run but the really neat thing is that wherever we find ourselves, God's always willing to encounter us again. Even if we feel that we've, we've blown it in some way and, and possibly we, we should have stood up and had a little bit more spine in that situation. You know, God promises through his word that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. God's heart is to want to revive his church. God's heart is to want to breathe life into our spirits, breathe life into our hearts, to give us a passion and a desire to want to go out and see other people come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. I know that there's people in our community, there's people in our world that, that are serving and worshipping other gods that aren't real gods, yet there's a desire within them to want to know Him. And uh, just even uh, a couple of days ago, Tim uh, Griffiths actually shared with me um, from Eternity News, a, a Muslim guy and his family and, and a whole heap of people that were connected to that family who Jesus came and revealed himself to them in a dream, a personal encounter. People, if we're hungry enough for truth, truth will show up. <laughs> and it's a challenge to my life because I know there's been times in my life where I've positioned myself or there's been a season and, and, and we've experienced or I've experienced a personal encounter with God. But it's an experience that can take us on to greater things. Because who knows that we don't always have those times of, of feeling God's presence, of, of sensing Him close. 
I'll be honest, sometimes I feel like the, 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 the heavens are like brass and my prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. Rest assured that that just happens. It happens sometimes in life. But God is still faithful. God is still good. And I'm thankful for those times when we can encounter him and he can remind us that he is still faithful and he is still good. And I believe that this is what God was wanting to do in Elijah's case. He was wanting to remind Elijah of who he was. What I find really interesting is Elijah's response. On both occasions, Elijah says exactly the same dialogue. And, and we have a moment where it wasn't enough that God just said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? But we see then God actually goes and reveals himself. We see rocks, we see earthquakes, we see fire, we see wind. And still, the still small voice comes. And I'm just so thankful for the still small voice that comes and speaks to our hearts. Sometimes we want all the fireworks. Sometimes we want all the lights. But just the still small voice of our Savior speaking to us. So what can we learn from encounters with God? The first thing I believe that we can learn is we can receive confirmation. And we see that in Saul's experience uh, on the road to Damascus. We also see that Uh, with Elijah's experience God wants to reveal who he is what he's going to do and not only what he's going to do but what he's well able to do through you see sometimes we can we can come up so short because we look at ourselves and we think well I don't have much to offer and and the reality is none of us do none of us have a lot to offer but God is just looking for a willing heart he's looking for an open heart He's looking for a receptive heart, a heart that would say, God, I just, I don't know. I'm just open to you. I'm just surrendered to you in this place right now. And I, I, just, I just want you to come and, and I make myself available to you. It's at these times I believe that the Holy Spirit just wants to bring confirmation to our lives. Remind us of who God is and what he's able to do through us. I, I encourage us, church, to be a, a, a people that continue to ask God for vision, continue to ask God just to dream a big dream in Him. Dream what is possible. Look at this town that we live in. Look at the neighbours that you live and do life with. God, what is possible for your spirit to do in and through these people's lives? What's, what's possible for you to do through my life? God, confirm. God wants to bring confirmation to our lives. The second thing I believe He wants to bring is commission God wants to commission us what's his intention his purpose he wants to make his purpose made known to each one of us not only made known to us but I believe that God wants us to own it as well if there's one thing that the enemy would want to do he would want to take take away your identity it's the the first thing that he seems to attack Jesus on after God said this is my son in whom I'm well pleased He goes into the wilderness and he says, well, if you really are the son of God. And see, we've got to be reminded about the commission. Jesus said to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now that responsibility doesn't just fall on the shoulders of the pastor or, or, you know, people in lay ministry. It falls on every single believer to be a shining light for Jesus. God wants to commission our lives. He wants to confirm who he is to us. I believe that the will of God will never lead us to where the provision of God doesn't follow. 
And sometimes we can find that, that we can have a dream or we can have a vision about something and, and, and God will impart a, a, a picture into our lives and the enemy wants to come along straight away and say, you couldn't do that because of this. There's this deficiency or, or there would never be enough interest in that. There'd never be enough whatever. Forget whatever there would never be enough of. God, when he plants and he imparts a vision into our lives, he's well able to resources for it. And I want to encourage us, church, to be a people that are not afraid of holding on to the promises that God has for each one of us, the commission that he has for us. Allow him to show himself and reveal who he really is to us in a personal way. The third thing that I'm uh, looking at this morning is confidence. God wants us to have confidence in who he is. You know, it's not in respect to our own natural pedigrees or proficiencies, but in his providence and power. God's in the habit of using everyday people. (laughs) And this is the really great thing that I like about faith in Christ, is you don't have to be some highfalutin legend. You just have to be a person that's open to the Holy Spirit, a person of simple faith, a person who is desiring more of God, to allow him to come, to allow him to build confidence in our lives in who he is and what he's able to do. I'm so thankful for God's providence. I'm so thankful for his power. But we need to be reminded and reorientated on where our help comes from, that it's not all down to us. And I believe that in many respects, Elijah's response was like that. Because even after God revealed his power to him, Elijah still went on to say, Oh, yeah, but, you know, I'm the only one that's left. And sometimes we can feel like that. We can feel like, am I the only one that's willing to come to prayer meeting on a Tuesday night? Am I the only one that's, that's willing to, you know, serve my neighbor? Sometimes it can feel like you are doing things on your own, but God wants to remind us that there's a bigger plan at play, that he's moving on other people's hearts, that he's moving on other people's lives. It doesn't all come down to us, but it does involve us leaning in to all that God wants for us. So have confirmation. We receive confirmation from him. He commissions us and he gives us confidence. The writer of Hebrews had this to say, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. He said, For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists. And get this, that he proves to be one who rewards those who seek him see this morning how hungry are we to seek his presence 